0: We don't want to lose lose the people that are doing something different in the food industry, and it, it, it'd just be a shame to lose all that that passion and energy. And it's it's going to be it's going to be a, a disaster for if we if we see those guys disappear. I think we just need to support each other in the industry massively, especially now.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Global recognition for a restaurant is marketing gold. Making the top restaurant lists and grabbing the attention of the world's food-loving community can make a restaurant a must-visit for tourists to any city. But with concerns over the future of international travel, what impact has that had on top-shelf restaurants reliant on tourist trade? Josh Rain is the head chef of Tetsuya's, one of the world's most loved restaurants. Josh, how are you going?
0: Oh, very well. How are you?
1: I'm good. What's it been like being um, a restaurant that's so revered um, and relied on for a portion of your trade, the tourist industry, um, with a with a shutdown? What sort of impact has that had on Tetsuya's? It had
0: a it had a it had a massive impact. We could almost see it the day the day the announcement kind of happened. We literally from going from a hundred covers dropping down to. Thirty to forty covers. It was yeah, it was a dramatic, dramatic drop. Wow,
1: what was what was the response to that that kind of impact?
0: It was yeah, it was scary for the for the whole team. We we kind of had I don't think anyone knew what was going on and what the the scenario was going to be. So it was kind of we were kind of blind and yeah, kind of. We didn't know which direction it was going to go, it was going to get better or going to get worse, so it was yeah a lot of a lot of unknown
1: with the pandemic unfolding overseas, did you feel any of the impact of that early on before the industry got shut down in australia
0: yes well i am I'm, I'm from the u k so i I saw a lot from my friends in the industry back in London that like they were sending photos to me with the streets and the underground completely empty, and that's kind of yeah, kind of put put the fear in me because I was like, yeah, it's going to come. Like, if there's nothing we can do. We just to have to adapt, I think, and just kind of see see where it went. And for me personally, I I I find it very hard. I was actually the first time I had a panic attack was trying to <laughs> these last couple of weeks of the restaurant being open because it was we didn't really know what was going to go, what was going to happen. Not, not just for the restaurant, for our guests as well, like for me as a chef i'm always thinking about quality and the food and it, and it was another thing I had to think about, like the safety of my team and so the whole the whole kind of environment kind of changed
1: that personal impact that you just mentioned can you can you take us through that
0: yeah, for for a chef like i I love what i do I'm I'm a hundred percent passionate and i i've been in this industry for. 18 years and food was one of the main things that so you just had to focus on that one one thing but then the whole covid situation it wasn't just about the food anymore it was about people's safety from people around me for my team for the customers it was yeah it was kind of it kind of changed in the and kind of the enjoyment kind of went out because it was that that scary thought that, that we, like someone or we could kind of Either give it to someone or we could receive it. It's just yeah, it kind of changed the whole the whole ethos of being a cook and that passion and that excitement to cook.
1: When the lockdown happened, Tetsuya's decided not to do a takeaway model. Can you tell us why that decision was made? And you ended up opening up only until there was fifty people allowed in the restaurant?
0: Yes, we oh, we did. We did talk about it and we were in the kind of we were seeing how long it was going to take if it was going to take any longer we would have had to have kind of jumped into that but luckily we we had we had the kind of the support from Ted to so just saying okay we're going to hold off and luckily the people around us the people who are in the building kind of helped us massively and so we didn't have to kind of dive into that but we were we were very on the brink of just about to launch some a product so it was, it was definitely on the cards. We just, we were kind of wanting to do something, being Tetsuo, like we have to do something perfectly right and we needed that time to kind of develop something and by the time we actually got to that stage of releasing, we actually uh, got the news that we could start opening up so we just held back a bit.
1: Tetsuo's is, is quite a extravagant and luxurious experience and the tables are generally pretty well spaced as it is has was there much impact on the dining space when you did open the doors
0: as you say we do we have the space and luckily for us we do we could kind of space it out a little bit more we actually give more than we we need to because we do have that privilege of having all that beautiful dining rooms and spread it spread it out so the service it was more about the service with all our menus we had to kind of the waiters had to We were all just, they're they're very, almost, uh, well, it's it's all silver service, so very, like, we like to explain everything, and uh, Sommelier likes to tell a story about all the wines and where they're from, and and that kind of had to change, because we were also afraid that people didn't want that anymore, they wanted their space, and we just kind of had to uh, get, kind of adapt, and kind of step back, and kind of give the... Give the customer a little bit more space to enjoy. In- for for maybe we still wanted to tell the story. Like we being going to Tetsu, is a story, and it isn't an, it, and it's an adventure. So we didn't want to lose that. So it was kind of try, trying to trying to find that that in between of being there, but not being in too too in in anyone's space and in their environment. Just and to let them enjoy and still kind of forget about the whole that. The, what's happening in the world and kind of just give them that kind of that that place to kind of forget about it and yeah it was yeah it was very it was a difficult difficult scenario
1: with the different um, model of operation that you had to deal with there uh, did, did did things change in the kitchen as well can you take us through the sort of food and menu offering that you provided in those early times of just after the industry just opened up
0: um, so the menus, we actually had three three menus for the three different dining rooms we had for the restaurant. We had a lot of repeat customers through um, second days or following weeks. So we wanted to give them the experience, a completely different experience in different rooms. And for me personally, it was actually a better idea because buying um, seafood and everything was finding very difficult to get consistency. So we looked at doing this to kind of so we could have to, so we could buy the best product on the market, and this is the best way we could we could look at it. And then going from from that having three menus and now dropping down back into the one. So for not just because we like the products, it's more about the staffing. We had to drop a couple of staff just because yeah you know, we can we couldn't bring everyone back. Luckily because of the job keeper and. Those scenarios, we were we were we, we were able to do it. But uh, Tetsuo did was, um did support a couple of our four, five, sevens through the the whole uh, scenario, so they got to stay. And then when when we were back open, we pulled all the guys we could back in, and yeah, we were even we, we, we were even in the pot wash. I was on the on the on the pass, and then when I got a second, I jump into the pot wash, and that was it and that's why we we kind of had to adapt that situation and it was it, but it kind of it kind of brought, it kind of brought the team closer together the environment was actually quite it's it's good and actually a little bit better in the kitchen now because we have all been in this situation that we've had to adapt and kind of get stronger so it's a bit of yeah a bit of trying because everyone's been sitting at home so everyone's excited and Got that adrenaline going for being in the kitchen again and wanting to be there. So it's it's been good.
1: Does does that mean the layers within the kitchen have sort of dissipated a little bit because of the circumstances?
0: Yeah, I think I think so. But in we have a very the the way we run our team is like we're all we're family. We all sit down for lunch. We so, so we 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 do talk. We have situation. We talk about it. it's, it's. I wouldn't say that we had much. Like there is a structure and everyone knows their structure and where they are, but we are willing to listen to everyone from the kitchen hand to the sous chefs. We all kind of have that agreement that we all will listen and we will will support each other. So, and I think that's got stronger since we've been back in the kitchen. I think people, it was a bit of a shock for everyone to kind of be doing the hours and and the love of the food, and now and then being sitting at home, not knowing what to do. I think people have, like actually missed it and wanted to get back that that energy and that drive.
1: What's it like working with Tetsuya? Is a lot of mystery around him, and certainly to go to Tetsuya's is a once in a lifetime experience for many. What's it like actually working with him and maintaining the standards that he set?
0: He's he's a very hard man to please, uh, and he keeps everyone everyone in his tone. But he's he's a genius for what he does, and the knowledge he has is it's every time he talks, it's a story. It's the people he knows and the the the, the adventures he's had through his life. It's been incredible, and from starting from nothing to having a having a, a restaurant in Singapore and a restaurant in Sydney. It's it's it's. It's been an and he talks about the journey that he's been there. It's it's his life has been incredible. So it's it's something that it's inspirational for 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 any chef, not just for me, it's inspirational for the 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 chefs or the, the 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 um the apprentices that come in. He wants to share that knowledge and when he is he is. Yeah, he, he wants to give that knowledge and show showcase what, what Tetsu is about. Unfortunately, he's hit the minute the, the Singapore. He was actually in Singapore when all this happened, so he's actually got stuck in Singapore. Unfortunately, wow. just about to relaunch his restaurant out there, so it kind of put a lot more pressure on me. But the relationship's very good. We we talk, we send uh, kind of like a, a weekly a weekly breakdown of what's going on. But he's he's very very supportive of of me, and, it, and he kind of wants. And it's, it was a good platform for me to showcase what I could do for him. So it's it's kind of it's been it's been a double-edged sword. It's been hard, but it's also kind of giving me that that push.
1: Tetsuya is known for some pretty incredible signature dishes. some that have um, evolved over time as well. But how how do you create dishes there, and how involved is he with you in regards to that?
0: Um, there's we we kind of we talk we talk a lot there's a lot of uh video conferences about what we do if he comes up with an idea he'll send it to me and then we kind of at this stage this is the only way we can kind of do it is by cooking up a dish and explaining it and then he would probably cook he would cook one in singapore and and we'll kind of just and analyze it together and yeah with with us at the moment it's it's kind of all the sous chefs and myself, we all sit down, we look at the market, we explain what's on the market for Tetsuya and what's good and and yeah, we kind of just, that's the only way we can really progress it.
1: You came from Urbane in Brisbane, which is an award-winning restaurant. How, how different was it working in that kitchen compared to Tetsuya?
0: Well, from from doing, we could, we, well, before COVID, we were doing up to 120 a night and Urbane was we would probably max out at probably 20 to 25. So the the, the vast amount of preparation was yeah, com- completely, you kind of have to think about the food in a different kind of way because we could, at Urbane, we would just go to any of the surrounding farmers, the local farmers, and we would ask what they had and we would get like 20 radishes or 15 of turnips and we could kind of build a menu on that. This is... Completely different ball game because you have to look at what you can get and how the market's producing. Because we would just go free so much, and we didn't want to lower lower our standards for for anything. So we would need consistency, and that's what Toto is about—consistency.
1: You earned your stripes in the UK as a chef. Can you take us back to those early days? How did, how did you get into the industry, and and what were the main sort of influences on your career?
0: Well, I'm I'm from a, a heavily Um, art orientated family both my parents are artists so I kind of kind of fell in the industry I I was a big skateboarder when I was young and my parents were fed up of basically paying for these all these skateboards so they I I looked for a job and I found a a work in a butcher's so I, I started working in a butcher's when I was about 16 and then after like making you know the usual stuff making sausages and all that kind of stuff and i and i kind of thought okay i'm good at this and i wanted to do art so i kind of put them together and this is why i kind of be, wanted to be in fine dining so when i was when i wanted to to leave home i i kind of looked at where the top restaurants in the uk were and raymond blanc uh at Saison was 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 in Oxford, and I applied, and I went in for a trial, and basically that was it. That was my love was born for, for French fine dining. So then, and it kind of, I did three years with Raymond Blanc, under Gary Jones there, and then I I looked again at the list of the best restaurants I could work in in UK, and Shane Osborne had a Pierre de Terre in uh, Charlotte Street. So, and, and so I kind of, I, I wrote a letter again. I went out for coffee and then the following day I was, I was in the kitchen again, <laughs> it, a bit of a, a bit of a crazy, a bit of a crazy, but it was, it, I it just wanted to do, I I saw each, the the detail in the food was basically art and that's what I wanted to do. So I just wanted to tie my love of cooking with the food that was in the UK and those were usually the one some of the best, best producers of food in that time, so and still are. And then I worked for Shane for three years again, and actually went to Hong Kong to uh, help him open and relaunch his restaurant in Hong Kong. So I spent a year out there. And then for me, personally, Australia has always been that place that I wanted to end up. My, my uncle went and told me stories about it when I was the young boy, how amazing his his tour of Australia was. So I always had that vision in my head. So that was always going to be my end goal, was to, to jump overseas. And, and the best thing about being a chef is you can travel anywhere and do what you do. And then, luckily enough, I knew Alejandro, who was opening uh, Urbane. He invited me over, so that was my my way into Australia. And for four years of... Kind of changing my my prep like my my world of food because all the products are different seasons you kind of you kind of have to start again coming over to Australia because all the yeah all the seafood's different different i think flavor like flavor profiles here are slightly different, so it's kind of a bit lighter because it's the weather less cream sauces and all that kind of stuff kind of had to adapt to where, where the weather surroundings, so that really Really changed my my whole, especially doing vegan food as well. We changed it over massively to vegan, and so that kind of changed the profile. And then, amazingly enough, I got asked to come down to see tattoo, and then the, my whole cuisine changed and adapted again. So it's been a it's been a journey since since the beginning. So I'm, I'm absolutely amazed and <laughs> overwhelmed for the the the, the honor that. Like to get their position because Ted'suis has always been one of my one of those restaurants that's been at the top and the forefront of of food for forever.
1: Many chefs uh, start through butchery and um, or dropping out of school, but was there was there some skills that you learned from those early days as a butcher that remain important to you?
0: Definitely, from nose to tail is a massive thing. Not n- no waste is a, is a. And being a butcher, you do have. It's yeah, you have to use everything that you can't. You can't just think you're going to make money off one thing. You have to adapt. You kind of have to use the whole thing, and that's kind of my ethos now. I I don't. We even though we're using well, we are using the best produce you can buy in Australia, and and that you forget about because I met a lot of farmers and producers when I was. In a butcher, and you forget the the time and the love that goes into these things, and you can't waste it. Can't waste it. It's been their livelihood from from day one. So, just a respect to produce, I think, was a, a massive thing of being a, working in butchers and utilizing everything. I think that was a massive a massive eye opener.
1: When you arrived in Australia, was there particular seafood um, that stood out for you? Um, that you hadn't experienced before.
0: A uh, lot, lots of lots of, this. because um, Shane Shane was from Australia. Uh, we did get a couple of things. We would get finger lime, finger like finger lime blew my mind when I first saw it in London, and then come over here like kingfish and coral trout and the Murray Murray cod is one of my favourite fishes. It's just incredible, and yeah, it's just the whole the whole seafood changes, and that was one of the biggest the biggest ways i had to adapt my cuisine because the seafood did change and i have to you have to look at the flavor profile so i couldn't just bring things from the uk i had to re reimagine everything and kind of adapt to those flavor profiles
1: you do have that really strong connection with producers and in season produce and yet you're enamored by the art of gastronomy and and fine dining how do you strike that balance between the art of food and respecting the produce to let it shine.
0: I think flavor, it always has to start with flavor, taste. I think the visual is always secondary. Finding finding a product that, and I think that's why we, we, we talk to our suppliers so hard because like, we want that unique product. And when we get that unique product, we want to kind of showcase that we don't want to hide it. So flavor Balance has been a massive, massive, uh, massive thing for Tatsuya, and, and that balance and that Japanese, that ethos, hundred percent. So it's yeah, it's it's it visually it always comes almost the last thing for visual, for me. Uh, and Tatsuya, it's all about the flavour. You start with the flavour, and if you're happy with the flavour, then you progress. Then it's the visual.
1: Tatsuya's has some pretty extraordinary alumni, from Martin Ben to. Darren Robertson, Luke Powell Dan Hong, Phil Wood, Clayton Wells I mean the list goes on and on what's what sort of pressures are there on you uh, in charge of such an important restaurant
0: immense <laughs> but but good i I think I'm one of my hardest critics personally so i I do want to strive and I do want to do the best so and i don't want to I don't want to bring i don't want to not perform how Ted wants me, I, and I think that's it's just a. I've been very driven since I've I've been a chef, and I've always kind of know what my direction was going to be, and I've always want strive to do the to the best food I can, and, and keep on adapting. And I think the pressure is it's it's immense, but I I kind of need that to kind of want to progress it, and and he's very supportive about progression as well, so. It's it's kind of scary but great at the t- same time.
1: The obligation and pressures on you have been um, more prominent during this period, given the circumstances with Tetsuya in Singapore. Has has this experience changed the way Tetsuya will operate and and the way that you uh, work as a chef?
0: I think I think it will have to, has changed slightly because he being stuck in Singapore, he kind of. He has to kind of rely on me, not because he has to, but we have to. I'm I'm the one on the on the forefront, and we we the communication is key. So we just we just talk everything through, and yeah. So it kind of it kind of has changed drastically from him being here, kind of because I I could always just I knew where he was and kind of just ask him a question. Now it's it's a bit harder. Like I have to I have to make those decisions on on the spot, but. I, I believe in what I do, so I and I think what we're doing is is the right way and I think um and I understand Tetsu is very happy for what we're doing and, and, and he he wants us to succeed and he wants us to he wants me to kind of take take the helm. So um I mean I mean I'm enjoying it. It's it's a lot of pressure but it's a it's a great experience.
1: Tetsu's is a destination restaurant for people overseas and with Concerns over international travel still hovering over us, will your client base change and the direction of Tetsuya's change and, and what sort of impact is that going to have on the restaurant and then in the coming period of time
0: it, it did kind of change change our clientele we We would get a lot of the the cruise ships and the the international travelers and but we also are like we're kind of that birthday anniversary restaurant as well and and i think people have been holding back on their their birthdays and anniversaries since lockdown so we got a massive wave of all those celebrations coming through and and now now we're kind of we're we're channeling all our energy to kind of promote what we're doing and get the get the locals to kind of embrace us and we are a, a local restaurant and we and we we do what we do because we love what we're doing and and, but it has been a massive change for us because we can't, that, that whole, that whole kind of clientele is completely vanished. But it's, um, but we're doing, doing really well. Like people, the ambience in the restaurant is, it's great. The people it, we're, we're enjoying and people are enjoying to be out again. And so it's, it's, it's good to, good to know, good to see, good to see a full restaurant again. And, and we, at 30, up to was 60 60 a night and we changed our kind of opening hours so from instead of doing Tuesday to Saturday we actually changed from Thursday to Sunday so we could could kind of get that that almost um, that like kind of that family large family kind of coming on a Sunday or a Saturday so it's that long lunches coming that bringing that back on the Friday and so it's it was just kind of the way we had to adapt. But yeah, it's been a challenge. We we pushed a lot on our social media to try and get and Instagram just to kind of make sure people know that we we're, we're, we're there to enjoy to come back and but they but they. But when we were locked down, that people were buying lots of vouchers as well, and, and wondering where we were going to reopen. So we we knew we had a good following. So that was really nice to see.
1: With spot cases around Sydney and the lockdown in Melbourne, or the second lockdown in Melbourne at the moment, um, how do you how do you feel about the next period of time and getting through COVID with the restaurant?
0: It's always it's always changing, and uh, and that's kind of scary its own way i think we just kind of have to focus on what we're doing and and giving the customers when the customers do venture out because it is it is harder for someone to come out for a meal these days and it's and it is, takes a lot more pressure so we need to just kind of give them the most overwhelming service and overwhelming food that we can so we were kind of just funneling all that energy not just uh, being afraid and not doing. We want to funnel it into, into energy, into bringing people back. And so we're just – we're not – it's hard not to, not to not think about it because it's all around you. We just kind of have to funnel that energy and that fear into something positive.
1: For a chef that is uh, operating at such a high level in the fine dining restaurant – what sort of food do you cook at home, and and where do you like to eat when you go out to restaurants? Um, it's,
0: it's a good, I try um, cooking at home. I'm more of a, a bacon sandwich kind of guy. I'm, a, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not one of those people who cooks up a, a feast. When I have friends around, I, I cook. I cook a feast. But when I'm at home, I have bacon, bacon sandwich, and just easy food. <laughs> that's that's what I do. And that's kind of what I want to eat. I just eat around little, little um, local restaurants around Surrey Hills and the city. I just I enjoy just not, not, not fine dining. I'm more of a, a casual in, casual diner when I'm, when I'm out. But yeah.
1: <laughs> During this series, many people have talked about what restaurants might look like beyond COVID and how, who will make it through and who won't but what are the things that you love about restaurants that you want to ensure survive through this tough period
0: the the energy and the originality i think i think people we don't want to lose lose the people that are doing something different in the food industry and those those guys are, are in the smaller restaurants that are doing incredible food and and can't rely on without customers, like those, those small restaurants, it would just be a shame to lose all that, that passion and energy. And it's gonna be, it's going to be a disaster for, for the restaurant see if, if, we, if we see those guys disappear. I think we just need to support each other in the industry massively, especially now, and go and eat out at, people at each other's restaurants. I think that's going to be a massive thing. We need to show each other support in the industry.
1: It's been a tough period for the industry, and as you say, we're going to lose a lot of restaurants. And hopefully, we keep some of the great culinary um, leaders that have changed this country. But what, what are the positives to come out of this for you? I think a,
0: a lot of uh, positives with just to keep trying to keep the the energy because in Australia, the the food scene is incredible, and I think we just need to keep that that progressing and not to not to bring, let this bring us down. We just kind of need to keep on moving and kind of bounce off each other and, 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 and keep on pushing to be one of the, the, one of the best countries with the best food And I think that's one of the, the forefronts of what we should be looking at. Now we can't, we can't, we can't just give up. We just need to keep on fighting. I think that's the best way we can do.
1: Well, oh, Josh, We've really appreciated you coming on Deep in the Weeds and sharing your story.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon.
0: It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast, or email us at podcast at deepentheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.